Okay, if you'd like to follow along, we're in 1 Corinthians, and today we're coming into chapter 4. Well, we've been in chapter 4 a bit. We continue in chapter 4, working through this pretty amazing passage that Paul has written to the church that he is not so happy with. Let me start this way. She took one look at me. This happened last week. She took one look at me and she started to cower. There she was, again, standing on the couch. I told her a hundred times not to stand on the couch. I'd even disciplined her for not standing on the couch. But she looked at me and she was standing on the couch. And her immediate reaction was to cower. Only took one look. Because she was expecting me to respond. She knew about me. And she was ready for my response. Here's the thing. Even my dog is a theologian. Right? I'm her God. She looked at me. She realized that I was thinking something about her. She immediately knew, oh no, I'm in trouble. And she responded. Why? Because she had a thing in her mind about me, about what I was going to do. We are all theologians. So today, I'm, I'm calling theologians all because, because we, what we think about God, what we know about him, what we expect him to do, it impacts directly and effectively everything we do. And, and that's why in our church, we do a lot of theology, not to fill our heads up, but because the things you do proceed directly out of what you think God is and how he's for you or against you or what's happening. So... Is he punishing you? What are his expectations? How then shall you live? So this morning, though, it's not so much about theology. It's about using theology. It's about being a theologian. Because we're all theologians. We all take the truth. And I think to some degree in our body, and, and here we are, we stand, we stand on a theology that we all embrace and we, we grab hold of. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Man, we stand in the gospel. We stand so with all of our heart. We, we see it. We, we, we know it together. And what Paul today is talking to the Corinthians about is about another group that has the same theology he has. And yet they're applying it differently. They're applying it in such a way that they're living it out differently. They're responding to theology in a certain way, what I would call a theology of glory or theology of the cross. But for today, I want to call it the theology of the, the theologians who are the Corinthians and the theologians who are Pauline or the apostles. I want you to see that there's a difference. I want you to take it in and think on it. This is the main divide this morning. Are you going to be a theologian like the Corinthians? Having the base that's right having the gospel, but what's the step you're going to take? So that's what we're going to look at. And first, I want to just establish for you that we, we have one theology. Theology is how you think about God, knowledge of God, right? Our knowledge of God is about Jesus Christ. That's how we know God. Paul says things like this, and he coming into this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, and we, we touched on it very briefly last week. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? That's a clear statement that everything we have in life, all that we are, is a gift, right? I'm right there with them. If I live it all forever, it's because I got a gift. His name's Jesus. 
He died for me and he loves me. My life is by grace. And we affirm the solas, which is, you know, by faith alone and grace alone and Christ alone and scripture alone and the glory of God alone. It, it follows along where he's been arguing and going back just a little so that you, you feel this one space that we're, we're agreeing on is that all things are yours, he writes to them, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. Wow. Everything is yours, he says. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. What an amazing statement of the gospel that I think every Christian says, yes and amen. If we have anything, it's that we're Christ's. Because of his work on the cross. That's, that's, that's amazing. And I want you to point out that Paul is claiming that for them. They have the same basic acceptance of the gospel, the same theology, the same truth applied to them as, as Paul does to you and me. We, we believe in Jesus. We confess his name. We have no other hope than Jesus. We have nothing that we haven't been given. Everything is grace, is a gift by God to us. We have Jesus. One theology. And then Paul says, you're acting this out in a way that's different than me. That's something we need to take note of. That's, that's basically what he says. Wait, there's, there's sort of, I'd say camps, but really there's two theologians here going on. Not theologies, it's the same theology. Theologians, how you're acting it out. There's two different things that's going on. And what does he say to them? He says in verse 8, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. But without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so we might share in the rule with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. He's not done. We are fools for Christ's sake, he says, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Oh, no. What in the world? I know for a lot of time in my life, I'd go through this and you're reading First Corinthians. He says, wow, he's just really mad at them and we keep on going. But he actually is laying something out here, right? He's contrasting two things, them and, if you will, us, the apostles. The, the Corinthian church and how they were thinking about the acting out their theology that they had, they confessed Christ, they were saints, and the apostles, the, which Paul counts himself. Walk it through with me for a minute, will you? So they were, they were rich. That's what he says first, right? They were wealthy here, assured of health and wealth. They were kings, thinking that they reigned, 
They're high. Not, they're not. They just think so. Paul says, well, I wish you really were. <laughs> but, but they think that they're high. They're wise themselves in, in Christ. They're not thinking, I've got worldly wisdom. They're thinking, man, I'm in Christ. I've got, I've got wisdom. They're strong themselves. And they're worthy of honor. What does it mean to be worthy of honor? It means that they see themselves as working hard for God and applying truth wisely. They hold themselves in high esteem. So by knowing the gospel, they, they know the gospel. They're, 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 they're following a way to return to glory. Jesus came on that cross and he rectified our error. Like, you know, we, we were high and we fell. And now Jesus restored us to highness. The gospel becomes in this thinking. I get the gospel, but it's a restoration project. We're restored. We came from glory. We fell, and God is restoring us to glory here. Look, praise him. We are healed. That, that's what they are. We were poor, but now we're rich. We were paupers, but now we're kings. We were foolish, but now we're wise. We were weak, but now we're strong. We were really worthy of dishonor, but now by the restored actions and deeds, we are enlightened and worthy of honor. That's pretty brutal. You say, well, that's not me. No, that's how I think a lot. <laughs> because like us, they received the gospel. They received Christ, but they saw Christ, this theology, as a means of getting themselves better and stronger. Verses, Paul says, so that's group one. Verses, Paul says, us apostles. You know, the ones who actually saw Jesus. That's what the apostles were. Personal experiences with Jesus Christ. These guys, he says, man, we, we over here, we're a spectacle to the world and to angels and, and to men. That means they, a spectacle, that word, that, that's not like, wow, how honorable and cool the apostles are. That's like, you guys are like, dishonorable. Not wise moral workers, they're your laughing stock. You're the spectacle, we're the spectacle people. He even says right there, doesn't he? Sentenced to death. Rightly so. Worthy of death, right? Fools for Christ's sake, he says. Not, not, not like they're being ridiculed because they talk about Jesus. That's not what he's implying. He, but fools in how they're talking about Jesus. Weak. No apparent strength. Disreputable means no honor, no virtuous, noble thing where you can say, wow, you know, those guys, they were... Psh. This is shocking. I, I don't understand it, so I, I run my eyes over it. I keep on going, but this is what he's saying. This is He's making this contrast between these two groups of people. Hunger and thirst and poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. Yeah, not nice to look on. There's Paul in his Sunday best. Nope. They labor. They're reviled. They're persecuted. 
or slandered, yet, yet responding well, he says. Not surprised, not surprised that they are these things, that they're reviled, slandered. And then this last line, right? I just, we have become and are still. Not, 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 not we were and we are no longer. <laughs> oh my goodness. We are still like the scum of the world. The refuse of all things. That is one amazing line for a brother in Christ. He's bottoming out, right? There's no cure on his own. There's no help in optimistic appeals to do more. You, you need to see this is about the application of the gospel, how Paul thinks of himself and all the apostles. He's, he, he's saying this is, I, I think what Paul would call the Corinth way and the apostles way are not compatible ways. It's what Luther would call a, a theologian of glory or a theologian of the cross. That's precisely where Paul is going. Right? The Corinth way, this theology of glory means a self-build up. Essentially, the, the cross is a means of restoring me to strength and power. To be improved, to be better, not to die. To call on my works and my efforts good. Hey, I got saved back there. I've been working on my, my goodness for a long time. There's honor in that. Look at my years of service. I've been empowered to keep the law and my strength. I'm working on myself. This is, this is the theologian of glory. He's taken the, the cross. He's taken Jesus. He's taken things we all agree on. And you move it towards a way that God is restoring me to be a better me. I deserve honor and glory. And because of God, praise be to Jesus. Against that, there's this theology of the apostles or a theologian of the cross. It's different. You, you see the cross. I think Paul sees the cross and he stops. The suffering of Christ for me I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy at the beginning. I'm unworthy at the end. I, my, my best works, I see. Now, God may have a different... He's going to look at me. He's going to decide. But I see my best I, works, the things I do, as, as threaded through with imperfection. They're, they're trash, man. There's no path to self-righteousness by leaning on Christ as a, as a lever for my own uh, improvement. There's, I, I call a thing what it is. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt me. But I look in the mirror and I see me and it's not pretty. I say, oh, that's very beautiful. This is an identification with Jesus that he's doing here. You see that, right? When Jesus says on the cross, what did he say? I thirst. He was homeless. He was slandered. He was crucified. The, the, the help we get is always in promised resurrection, isn't it? Not in strength and life now, 
Our sense of self-worth is in Christ. This is the theologian of the cross, and, and it leans heavily on some thoughts in the Bible that Paul clings to with all his mind. Things like Galatians 2.20, you've seen it, right? Let me put it on the board. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Just think about that for a minute. Ouch. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, so the life I'm living now, I live by faith, trust, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith means you're not going to see it all the way through, right? Faith means no sight. You're blind. What are you blind to? Your own goodness. I, I even have trouble seeing Jesus. But I trust, not by sight, but by faith. That he loves me. What, what, where's that faith come from? The story of the Bible. Jesus. All he did. So you got to decide, right? This is the decision. Does the gospel exist to make you more well-off, more moral, more wise, more successful, more honorable, more full of good, more something else you fill the blank in, more of you? Or... Does the gospel align you with suffering and death? I'll tell you the truth. I wish it was number one. Way cooler for me. I, I like that. I like that by using Jesus, I can get to be stronger and better and, 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 and more honorable and all these things. Look, I can reign. Except Paul right here takes a baseball bat and he knocks him off the block. I wish you were kings. Does the gospel enable you to be a good law keeper so you're honored and respectable and blessed? Because that's what keeping the law does. Or, or is the gospel the mystery of suffering and death resulting in life through the mercy of God alone? That's the contrast Paul's making. You can't see through the cross to exalted Christian living because the cross stops us flat. The purpose of God to save you is not so you can use the cross to be a good person out here past the cross. The, 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 the theologian of the cross hits Jesus and goes, Oh my, the suffering of God for me. To see through it means somehow Jesus' suffering means my ease. Jesus' suffering and rejection of glory means I get glory accomplishment. Like what Jesus did was restore me so I could be strong and good and virtuous. That, that's the Corinthian theologian approach. Paul says, look at Jesus. Jesus was none of those things. Even when he was in the world, right? In the eyes of the world, his flesh here, Isaiah 53, I mean, this is a portion of it, but you know these things. This is talking about Jesus. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. And yet most of our lives often is about how we can be beautiful to attract people to Jesus. Second <laughs> Corinthians says, similar to what he's saying here, that we are as unknown yet well-known, dying and behold we live, punished and yet not killed, sorrowful and yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. You see, the, the, the first words are Paul's view of himself, but it's the view of Christianity. 
this alien work of God that he does his work. He humbles us thoroughly. He makes us even despair so that he exalts us in what? In his mercy. That's the line, great line out of Habakkuk, right? In wrath, remember mercy. This is my life. It's yours too. It's not in wrath, remember that, 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 that I have good standing, Lord. It's in wrath, remember what's mercy? Mercy is the gospel. Mercy is the truth of God that says, just because I love you, I love you. And he sets it on you. Nothing that you deserve. So in his wrath, that's justly, justly on me because I'm a sinner, you see. I, I, I'm not perfect. I'm not even on the road to perfect. In wrath that I justly deserve, oh Lord, remember mercy. And he can justly do so because God in Christ has forgiven us. That this is the gospel, and, and that's why, in some real sense, we're, we're not seeing ourselves as beautiful, but as depraved. We, we're displeased with all our works because none of them are sufficient or beautiful as they should be. It keeps me humble instead of prideful. If you don't think your works aren't deserving of wrath, Luther calls that a mortal sin. They did this whole thing where they used to have mortal sins and venial sins. Venial sins you kind of make up for. Mortal sins, there's no way to make up for them. You're toast. This idea that we can grab onto, that the gospel enables me to have good things, that, that, that I'm standing on myself, my own goodness. If that's where you stand, it, it's a terrible place to stand. Because we're prone to judge by appearances, to classify works as good or bad. That means we're seeing through the works to some eternal standard by which they are evaluated instead of what? Staying with Christ. Obtaining grace by humility, not by doing what's in me. Humbling is a work of God on us to get us to the position where you and I claim nothing. This is incredible. It happens through the law, our inability, not in our ability. We tend to make everything into a work to do, you know, even descriptions. If I say things like, oh, Jesus is kind and gentle, what my mind hears is, oh, I need to go be kind and gentle. Instead of receive the kindness and gentleness of Christ for you. To be a theologian with Paul over here with his apostles is to say we suffer. We suffer all kinds of things. All the things we thought were our, our strengths, our moral strength, our personal wisdom, the beautiful things about me, we realize they get us nowhere. You know that suffering. We suffer the pangs of death. We do, don't we? We who know will live forever. I know I'm going to live forever. And yet I experience the failure of this body. I experience relationships that break. I experience things that are wrong. And I, I, I trust in the dying of my body, in the failure not working. I know my faith is that I live forever. And, and that brings ridicule. To call things as they are. To not let people get away with self-righteousness with merit. If our only hope is trusting in Jesus, stand there. 
the biggest thing I suffer personally is I have to trust God's action on me instead of my action on me because I'm a man who likes to work on himself. I have my whole life. That's my testimony. The gospel comes in and says, Dax, you have no merit. And all those things that I did to try to get merit, I got none of it. That's suffering. I let go of me. I, I, I connected to Jesus only. I got to receive that. I think of Peter in the garden. Like my dog. There across the courtyard. Jesus Christ on the way to the cross. And he looks across the courtyard at who? At Peter. And Peter, he doesn't say anything to Peter. He just looks at him. And Peter sees that all of his bluster about coming with Christ, all of his statements about fighting for Christ, everything that he said that says, I can be in a, of a help to you, Jesus, goes away. And he suffers the truth that he's not able to do anything. Except what? Desert Jesus. <laughs> he's totally at the mercy of a God who's going to the cross. And who will come back, by the way, who will come back and restore him and, and, and have him and, and have him be useful even. There are works he will do. And yet the suffering of Peter is that connection to Jesus does it all. His blood. Because of me. Okay, this is a big deal. I could keep going for a long time. We've got to stop. But, but, but get it. By faith, we are saying we are in Christ. We are waiting to see what will happen to us and in us. The, the, the recap. There's one theology. The theology is the gospel. The truth of Jesus Christ who died for my sins. There are two theologians. There's two main ways Paul's talking about here of how people grab hold of these things. That, that, that he's saying the Corinthians have grabbed hold of it in a way that improves themselves, that makes themselves higher, stronger, wiser, more acceptable. And he says, we apostles over here, we just see the suffering of Christ and we realize we're connected there. Suffering and death. Those are different camps. So the, the, and then Paul does this. He says, I want you, Corinthians, to move. I want you to move from camp one to camp two. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. There's one reality, and he says, and it's my reality over here in Christ with the apostles. Look what he says in verse 14. I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He says, oh, I said such a heart for you. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, many people guiding you, you don't have many fathers. Hey, this is Father's Day. We honor fathers. Why? Because they care for us. They love us. We're from them. He said, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is my connection to you. I'm your dad. I'm your dad because I adore you in the gospel. I gave you this truth that's so important to you. I, I, I Listen to me, please. I urge you then, my, my kids, right? Be imitators of me. 
That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Imitate me, says Paul. Understand what he's saying, right? Because we think, oh, Paul, the strong, the moral, the righteous, the holy apostle. That is precisely what he has not said. Watch out. Instead, he means move. Move from thinking you're getting stronger and better and more holy and more righteous and climbing a ladder to rulership and wealth through wisdom and improvement based on the lever of the gospel that restores you to strength. He's saying, move to seeing that you're low. Like, like I think of myself, says Paul, like the apostles, weak fools for the sake of Christ, disreputable, that's imitating him. How do you see yourself? Humility is to stop at the cross, to be connected in suffering and death. Your hope is in the mercy of God. In that suffering and death, you get resurrected life. His work all the way through. I cannot resurrect myself. Neither can you. Not, not this because I've been good before or after a prayer of repentance. You're trusting in the promised forgiveness of Christ. And Paul doesn't think this is an option. He, he says, you got to think this way. He says, some are arrogant, he says. As though I were not coming to you, but, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power makes a claim right here. The kingdom of God, he says, right? The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and the spirit of gentleness? But, but his question is, where's the power? You know, the law doesn't confirm you. It accuses you. It should cause humility because where's the power? Where's the power? Where's the power of your life? Let me suggest it is in the cross of Christ. That's your power. In the cross of Jesus, you have power. Power by what? The promise of God that he's going to resurrect you. There's your power. It's not power to talk about how great you are. You don't even know. You stand before God. What are you going to say? Well, I'm going to appeal to my understanding of these Bible verses that I tried to do. What if you're wrong? I got one hope. What is it? Jesus says if I trust him, he's got me. That's power. That the power of the power of the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise you and me from the dead. Wow. The power's in the cross. He says it in Philippians 3.10 as we close. That I may know him, he says there. Oh, I want to know Jesus. And we say, we do too, Paul. We're with you. Uh, the, the power of his resurrection. Oh, I want that too, Paul. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I'll tell you what. Most of the time, I don't want to go that far. Let's just stop with the power of the resurrection. But Christianity is, we connect with his suffering and to know him in his death. We believe something radical. We live as a gift from God in Christ by his forgiveness. He died in our place on the cross. So we look at the cross and we live. We don't look 
through the cross to where I might want to go. We look at the cross, we see the mystery of our life in God because we have no hope in ourselves at any time. We only hope in this Savior. And He was not something to look at. He was not something honorable and high. He came low. Let's be low. Let's together see ourselves humble and receive this, this Christ, even through suffering and death.